From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday, October 30th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the 10th Beijing Shengshan Forum discussing defense and security issues is underway in the Chinese capital. Reports indicate more Israeli artillery and airstrikes amid the ground invasion of Gaza. The Turkish Republic is marking the 100th anniversary of its founding. In business, the UN's increased use in the global economy. In sports, the closing of the Asian Para Games in Hangzhou. In culture and entertainment, a global arts festival in southern China. Now the day's top stories. The opening ceremony of the 10th Beijing Shengshan Forum kicked off in the Chinese capital early Monday. Defense and military officials from more than 90 countries, regions, and international organizations are attending that forum. They're discussing defense and security issues. Jia Yunfei takes a closer look. This is a large gathering of the world leaders in the prospect of security. Now China's uh, Central Military Commission's Vice Chairman Zhang Youxia has delivered a keynote speech on Monday's uh, opening ceremony. Uh, Zhang says, uh, covered about the current affairs that are happening, uh, including the crisis as well as the war that is happening in the world today. Uh, he says that uh, it takes a long way for the human beings to proceed uh, to peace. And uh, one of the reasons for that is the geopolitics. He mentioned about some countries are interfering in other countries' internal affairs. And also, uh, he mentioned about the cover, uh, color revolution and the proxy war. And uh, he also noted that the security uh, matters are indisparable between countries, citing the um, refugee crisis and many other security concerns. 
The solutions is the Global Security Initiative, uh, initiative proposed by President Xi Jinping, and he said uh, he also uh, reiterated China's firm stance um, uh, in multiple perspectives. He said that China will respect each other's, uh, each country's security concerns, and also uh, regarding the uh, questions that is relevant to China's. Uh, core interest, uh, specifically uh, the Taiwan question. Zhang Youxia says that the People's Liberation Army will firmly safeguard the country's territorial integrity. That was Zhao Yunfei reporting. The Shengshen Forum aims to find ways to make lasting peace through the lens of shared security. This year's event is the first in-person forum in four years. Chen Zhiyuan has more. Zhang Youxia, the vice chairman of China Central Military Commission, delivered a keynote speech at the opening event. And also, uh, following in that, uh, the discussion was focusing on how the countries are coming together um, to ensure global security. And I actually was able to talk to a few of the experts from different forums. For example, the expert um, representing um, the university from at Pakistan, saying that her focus was actually on nuclear security. So Dr. Maria Sutan, um, she said that now the U.S. has been seeing India as a net safety provider of the Asia-Pacific region so that um, Pakistan is definitely not supporting that. So it's important for her to voice her opinion and also share her thoughts about um, what's the better way to support, to establish the mechanism to ensure um, U.S. voice and also other countries' voice in the Asia-Pacific region. In addition to that, I was able to talk to uh, the commanding general um, representing National Defense Study Institute of Thailand, and he was talking about that um, with the maritime concern and also a lot of cooperation on the sea. It's important to focus on to really utilize the framework of ASEAN to come together to really recognize the differences, but at the same time use the opportunity of the ASEAN framework to resolve differences among each country, um, not only having um, China coming in, but also parties who are involved in this matter to really have conversations. Um, so this is the opportunity for many of these experts to come together, say, uh, to share their different schools of thoughts, but at the same time also understand what is leading in the industry and what are the opportunities of collaboration and make political challenges as well as economic conditions. That was Chen Zeyuan reporting. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has invited the U.S. business community to seize the new opportunities presented by China's high-quality growth and high-level opening up and contribute to the improvements of China-U.S. ties. The invitation came during a meeting with representatives of the U.S. business community and other sectors over the weekend in Washington. Wang said China is ready to work with the U.S. to follow through on the consensus reached between the two heads of state and take actions to expand the positive agenda of bilateral relations and reduce the negative agenda. The senior diplomat also called for working together to clear the way for the two heads of state to meet in San Francisco in November on the sidelines of the APEC summit. 103-year-old American World War II veteran Harry Moyer has visited a section of the Great Wall in the Chinese capital. Moyer, along with a delegation of the Sino-American Aviation Heritage Foundation, arrived in Beijing on Sunday. He is in the city for a Flying Tigers historical photo exhibition to honor that chapter in history when Americans like himself and the Chinese fought side by side during wartime. In late August, Moyer uh, wrote a letter to the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, uh, together with the 
uh, Flying Tigers veteran Mel McMullen and Sino-American Aviation Heritage Foundation chairman Jeffrey Green to mark the enduring bond between the two peoples. In his reply letter, President Xi paid tribute to the veterans and their families for recounting the stories of the Flying Tigers to Chinese and Americans over the years, which he said epitomized the deep friendship between the two peoples that withstood the test of blood and fire. Moyer joined the American Volunteer Group of the Chinese Air Force in 1944, a special combat team widely known by the name given to them by the Chinese, the Flying Tigers. Moyer's squadron was primarily responsible for protecting Chinese airfields and the B-29 bombers stationed there, tasked with the counterattacks on Japanese invaders. California Governor Gavin Newsom and his delegation have wrapped up their week-long China trip in Shanghai. Newsom was uh, last in the city back in 2005 when he was the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, during the recent trip, he visited Tesla's Gigafactory. And Chen Tong has details. As a California-born new energy car maker, Tesla is among the important stops California Governor Gavin Newsom has in Shanghai, which is also the only event that was open to the media during his visit to the city. The Gigafactory in Shanghai, Tesla's first overseas plant, has the largest production capacity among the factories Tesla has around the globe. I'm happy to, to see the success of this facility, though we want to compete with this facility. I want more jobs in the United States. I want, uh, I want Tesla to continue to expand and grow. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a global market uh, for all American automobile manufacturers. They're, they're exporting around the globe, and, and that's a very healthy thing for all of us. Other private trips Newsom made in Shanghai included a meeting with government officials and the business leaders in Shanghai. That was Chen Tong reporting from Shanghai. Jiangsu Province in California signed a memorandum of understanding on climate and the environment to enhance cooperation. The two sides signed the MOU in Yancheng, a city that's relatively unknown to people outside the province, but has been at the forefront of green technology in China, and Li Yunqi reports. With wind speeds of up to 8 meters per second, the abundant wind resource in Yanchen has given the coastal city a unique advantage in developing wind power. By the end of last year, Yanchen's installed capacity of offshore wind power plants already accounted for nearly 40% of China's capacity and 10% of the global total. Among China's many coastal cities, Yanchen has stood out in harnessing the forces of nature. Zhang Hao is the deputy manager of the wind farms in Yanchen, operated by the Three Gorges Energy Company. He explains that, unlike many other regions that suffer from typhoons each year, Yanchen benefits from increased wind power without the risk of damaging the wind turbines. It's different from the destructive typhoons in Fujian and Guangdong provinces. Jiangsu is on the edge of most typhoons, and wind speed is usually under 25 meters per second, which is beneficial for generating wind power. In addition to favorable wind conditions, Yanchen's soil is also ideal for installing wind turbines. When compared with drilling in rocky seashores, the same process can be completed in just one day instead of seven along Yanchen's coastline, which is primarily composed of mud and sand. Together with solar and biomass power, clean energies now supply nearly 60% of Yanchen's electricity portfolio. With the advantage of accessing clean energies, Yanchen is on its way to expanding the industrial chain of green technologies. Like many other wind turbine manufacturers, Goldwind started its business in the northern parts of China. 
The company moved into Yancheng's industrial park in Dafeng in 2009, when the area was mostly vacant and barren. Deputy Manager Ning Haifeng of Goldwind Jiangsu says, 14 years later, Goldwind has attracted more companies to invest in Yancheng's wind technology industrial chain. Now in Dafeng, we have CRRC Electric, which supplies us with the generators. ZTT that designs submarine cables for power transmission and substations under the sea. And there are also companies that produce cabin covers, turbine blades, and other structural parts for us. This is the process of industrial concentration. Behind this process of concentrating the industrial chain, Yancheng owes the success to its unique location, and perhaps even more significantly, the city's unwavering commitment to developing future industries. Jiaming with Trina Solar says the Yancheng government shares the same vision with many green tech companies. Apart from the abundant solar resource here, there's a complete solar power industry in Yancheng. The local government has a clear focus on preserving its ecological system while developing the green industry, and the clean energy products from Trina Solar are aligned with that goal. Currently, more than 100 large-scale companies in solar and wind technology have invested in Yancheng. The city's installed capacity of clean energies has exceeded 13 million kilowatts, and it aims to increase this number to 20 million by the end of 2025. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Li Yunqi. Coming up, Israeli artillery and airstrikes in Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive. The podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. We're at 12 minutes past the hour. Palestinian media report more air and artillery strikes in northern Gaza as Israel's ground offensive continues. Israeli airstrikes hit areas near several hospitals in the region early Monday. In the meantime, Palestinian militants clashed with Israeli forces in a border area east of the city of Khan Yunus. The bombardments came hours after Israel released images of battle tanks on the enclave's western coast. Israel has entered what it calls the second phase of its operation against Hamas. The intensified attacks come as international calls mount for a humanitarian pause to allow aid into Gaza. Continued hostilities have killed at least 9,500 people. Sam Mednick has more from Jerusalem. It is the second phase of the war, according to what Netanyahu said. Israel is expanding its uh, invasion into Gaza. However, it didn't call it a full-scale invasion yet. It hasn't said that that has begun. It's unclear when they say that will start. But in the last 24 hours, Israel said that it has struck 450 targets. It also said that it has killed Hamas militants, particularly along the border with Gaza and with Israel. Israel is saying that there are two objectives for this phase of the war. One is to completely destroy Hamas. The other is to get back the hostages. There are some 220, more than 220 hostages in Gaza right now. They were taken when Hamas stormed Israel on October 7th. More than 1,400 people have been killed in Israel since the war began. Most of them were killed on that day. As the situation increases, Israel is urging Palestinians to surrender. On Sunday, they dropped leaflets over Gaza, saying to people to lay down their weapons, hold a white flag, and listen to the instructions from Israel's army. 
Israel's army was, is, Israelis were saying to the Palestinians that Hamas leaders are exploiting them. They said in these flyers that Hamas leaders were trying to save themselves and that the civilians in Gaza were going to die for no reason. Since the beginning of the war, nearly one and a half million people have been internally displaced. The Ministry of Health, which is run by Hamas, said that more than 8,000 people have been killed and that the situation is getting more and more dire. Before the war, the humanitarian crisis was always already bad in Gaza. About 500 trucks would go in a day. The amount of trucks has drastically decreased. People are running out of food, water and fuel for electricity and power. Israel has denied the fact that there is a shortage of water and food. However, they said that in the coming weeks, they're going to let in more aid to the south of Gaza. They did say that they opened two water pipes in southern Gaza, but the Associated Press is unable to independently verify if either of those are working. That was Sam Mednick reporting. The Palestinian Red Crescent says it's received warnings from Israeli authorities to immediately evacuate Al-Quds Hospital, one of the largest medical facilities in Gaza. And as the humanitarian crisis deepens, thousands of residents in the enclave stormed UN warehouses on Sunday, taking flour and other essential supplies, Noor Harazin reports. This is not the first warning for the Al-Quds Hospital, uh, actually, uh, since the beginning of this uh, round of violence, since uh, the 7th of October, and the uh, Al-Quds Hospital have been uh, warned at least four or five times. The thing, the thing here is that this is one of Gaza's biggest hospitals. It is still operating. Uh, there is around uh, 12,000 Palestinians who are actually taking shelter inside uh, the hospital because they thought it is a safe place where they can take shelter. That's why the director for this hospital and the doctors and the nurses and also the people who are staying in that uh, hospital refused to uh, leave before and they are refusing to leave now. Uh, yes, they are do fe feeling some danger because of the previous Israeli attacks on Al-Ma'madani Al-Ahli Hospital and over the past nights, basically the Israeli warplanes targeted uh, places around the Al-Quds hospital. So for now, they are still inside the hospital and there is no else for them to go. Even the aid that is entering the Gaza Strip via Rafah border with Egypt, the very little amount of humanitarian aid trucks that have canned food, water and uh, medical supplies. Uh, most of these uh, humanitarian aid are going to people who are taking shelter in southern Gaza in schools and uh, hospitals and uh, homes uh, in southern Gaza. But those who are still residing in northern Gaza, those who did not leave their homes, they are left alone. There's no food, there's no fuel, there's no electricity, hardly any internet, any connection. So these people are hungry, they are thirsty, and uh, they will do anything just to get some uh, supplies, some food. And that's why they uh, stormed into the uh, UN um, storages here in Gaza and actually they also carried the same thing on other uh, factories here in Gaza seeking water, flour and food. That was Noor Harazin in Gaza. Clashes along the Lebanon-Israel border continue. Lebanon's media says an Israeli drone struck a southeastern Lebanese border town, wounding two people. It also says heavy missiles launched from Lebanon towards northern Israel uh, and that Israel, uh, Israeli forces respond, uh, responded with artillery. The current situation has battered Lebanon's struggling economy. The country's syndicate for restaurants, nightclubs and cafes says the restaurant sector has seen business drop by 
80 percent. Tourism, which makes up 20 percent of the national GDP, has also suffered. Well, meantime, Israel has attacked several areas in southern Syria in a retaliatory move. Many countries have been sending their diplomats to Egypt to discuss humanitarian support for Palestinians. On Sunday, U.S. Special Envoy David uh, Satterfield and Belgian Foreign Minister Hadia Labib held talks with Egyptian and Arab League officials. Cairo is seeking to increase the flow of aid to the Palestinians and broker a ceasefire. Adel Al-Maruki has more. Through opposing an Arab-driven United Nations General Assembly resolution that called for a humanitarian truce in Gaza, the United States sent its special envoy for Middle East humanitarian issues, David Satterfield, to Cairo. During their in-depth talks, Egyptian Foreign Minister Sameh Shukri voiced Egypt's disappointment about the limited flow of aid to Palestinians. The U.S. envoy vowed to intensify coordination with Egypt to ensure that stranded trucks on the Egyptian border would continuously and immediately access Gaza. On the other hand, Belgium's foreign minister, Haj al came to the Egyptian capital after its country endorsed the UN's calls for a ceasefire. Her talks with Shukri saw the two sides agree on exerting joint efforts to prevent an expansion of the Israeli war on Gaza, as well as providing necessary protection of civilians. She also discussed Egypt's vision for reviving the Palestinian-Israeli peace process. The deterioration in humanitarian conditions was also the focus during the Belgian foreign minister's talks with the secretary-general of the Arab League, Ahmed Abulghit. They both rejected attempts to use a transfer policy to enforce the relocation of Palestinians away from Gaza. Egypt says it's pulling all diplomatic strings to give way for the biggest volumes of aid to reach Palestinians this week. The country is also aiming to broker a ceasefire agreement as well as lead efforts for a possible deal to exchange hostages. That was Adel Al-Maruki reporting. The special envoy of the Chinese government on the Middle East issue has urged an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and efforts to protect civilians to avoid a more serious humanitarian disaster. Chai Jun made the remarks when meeting with Philippe Lazzarini, the Commissioner General of the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East. The Chinese envoy voiced concerns over the continued escalation of tensions between Israel and Palestine and expressed condolences to the victims of the conflict. He said China's willing to push the international community to increase assistance to Palestine through UNRWA to further improve the local humanitarian situation. Lazzarini said his agency is willing to strengthen his cooperation with China to alleviate the humanitarian situation in Gaza. He also appreciated the emergency humanitarian assistance provided by China since the conflict began. The Kuwaiti foreign minister has reiterated that his country will not normalize relations with Israel unless a future Palestinian state is established in line with international resolutions. Sheikh Salam Abdullah al-Jabbar al-Sabah adds that it's his responsibility to maintain his country's security and interests abroad by maintaining ties with friendly, brotherly, and allied countries. The minister says the Palestinian issue is the first issue for Kuwait, and that the country has never deviated from that path. He also describes the war Israel waged against Gaza as retaliatory rather than defensive. The diplomats called for an immediate cessation of hostilities in Gaza and assistance to the besieged enclave. He says the Palestinian issue should be ultimately resolved through the establishment of an independent Palestinian state on the 1967 borders. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up, the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Turkish Republic.
Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. We're at 22 minutes past the hour. Uh, Turkey has commemorated its centenary as a republic. The day was marked by celebrations that were a bit muted in light of the conflict in Gaza. Mihal Bardavid reports. Turkey's celebrations marking the centenary of the Turkish Republic's founding kicked off with a military parade in Istanbul. Events throughout the day included a procession of military ships in the Bosphorus, followed by a drone and fireworks show, but no state reception. A century ago, Turkey was founded by military commander and its first president, Mustafa Kemal, still a hero for Turks who affectionately referred to him as Atatürk a surname bestowed upon him, meaning father of the Turks. Atatürk initiated a transformative era by establishing a Western-oriented secular republic. He championed human rights by granting women the right to vote. He replaced the Arabic alphabet with the Roman script and introduced a new legal system based on European models. But Turkey's path has shifted with the Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who has been leading the country for the past two decades and envisions a more Islamic and conservative country. Mosques and religious schools have multiplied and the Directorate of Religious Affairs has received substantial financial resources. In 2018, a pivotal shift away from a parliamentary system and to a presidential system also concentrated Erdogan's power. Erdogan has strived to establish Turkey as both a regional powerhouse and a global mediator, and some analysts argue he has largely achieved this. In his celebratory speech on Sunday, Erdogan stressed that Turkey is a helper to those who have no one, including Palestinians. From the Balkans to the Caucasus, from Asia to Africa, from Turkmenistan to Palestine, wherever there's a need, Turkey provides a solution to their problems. Just the day before the Turkish Republic's centenary, Erdogan led the so-called Grand Palestine Rally, where he stated that Turkey would declare Israel a war criminal and that Hamas is not a terrorist organization. The statements prompted Israel to recall its diplomats to reassess relations. Some analysts say Turkey's chances of acting as a mediator in the Israel-Hamas conflict have now disappeared. Turkey has also been dealing with economic struggles. The Turkish lira has lost about 90% of its value in the past decade and inflation is in double digits. But a new financial team is striving to turn the tide with a return to more universally accepted monetary policies. As the country gears for a new century, Turkey's role in conflicts such as Ukraine, Syria and Israel, upcoming local elections in 2024 and economic improvement will be high on the agenda for the ruling government. That was Mihal Bardavid on the 100th founding anniversary of Turkey. The Mediterranean nation of Malta has hosted talks on Ukraine's plan for peace with the participation of more than 65 countries. The two-day meeting of national security delegates over the weekend was the third round of talks in recent months. Ukraine saw the event as an opportunity to win support for President Volodymyr Zelensky's 10-point peace plan from countries across the globe. The points under discussion included nuclear safety, energy security, food security, the release of prisoners of war, and the restoration of Ukraine's territorial integrity. 
Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko has called on Russia and Ukraine to negotiate an end of the conflict between the two sides. There was a serious situation both from Russia and the Ukrainian sides. Stillmate. Nobody can do anything. Ukrainians tried a counteroffensive and didn't succeed. Recently, Russia has tried to push in the area of Avdivka. A lot of people were killed. They didn't succeed either. They are there, head to head, to the death, entrenched. People are dying. It's necessary to come to the negotiating table and make agreements, as I once said. Lukashenko said that Ukraine's demands for Russia to quit its territory uh, need to be resolved through uh, negotiations to prevent further loss of life. Uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reiterated at a gathering of over 60 national security advisors that the only way to end the war is his 10-point peace plan, which includes uh, calls for the restoration of Ukraine's territorial integrity. European Commission president is vis- uh, visiting the Western Balkans to discuss bilateral trade and the European Union's growth plan for that region. Ursula von der Leyen has arrived in North Macedonia, where she held talks with President Stevo Pandorovsky. Uh, she'll also travel to Serbia, Montenegro, and Bosnia and Herzegovina. The EU's growth plan opens parts of the EU single market to the Western Balkans in return for necessary reforms before they can join the EU. The Western Balkans nations are required to reform their economies and political institutions by improving the regulatory structure and business while fighting corruption and stamping out organized crime. The EU's uh, uh, EU's enlargement process has been stalled since 2013 when Croatia became the last country to join. Serbia and Montenegro launched their membership bids a few years ago, followed by Albania and Macedonia last year. Bosnia and Herzegovina has only uh, just begun the first step of the integration process. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Uh, Beijing's down to 11 degrees overnight, then sunny with a high of 22. Chongqing has a slight rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 16 and a high of 22. Last is down to plus 4, then sunny in 15. Hong Kong's 24 overnight, then sunny with a high of 29. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 14 degrees this evening. It'll be partly cloudy and 21 on Tuesday. Islamabad's down to 16, then haze and 35. Bangkok's at 26 tonight, then thunderstorms and 33. In Africa, Nairobi is getting partly cloudy conditions and a high of 26. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 24 this evening, then sunny with a high of 29. Auckland's down to 16, then mostly cloudy and 20. Port Vila, some clouds and 27 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the 10th Beijing Shangshan Forum discussing defense and security issues is now underway in the Chinese capital. Reports indicate more Israeli artillery and airstrikes amid the ground invasion of Gaza. And the Turkish Republic is marking the 100th anniversary of its founding. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. 
Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Donated an additional Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday. Still to come. In business, the Yuan's increased use in the global economy. In sports, the closing of the Asian Para Games in Hangzhou. In culture and entertainment, a global arts festival in southern China. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with today's headlines, here's Wang Zihan. Thanks, Jane. The 10th Beijing Xiangshan Forum is underway in the Chinese capital. Organizers say the event focuses on the China-proposed Global Security Initiative. It has attracted participants from countries including Russia, the United States, Britain and Fiji. The forum's secretariat notes that the security concerns of developing countries should be heard. China's foreign ministry has issued a statement on the UN General Assembly resolution that calls for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Spokesperson Wang Wenbin says China hopes it will be implemented soon, restoring peace and order. The adoption of the resolution by a large majority reflects the strong call of the international community for a ceasefire and an end to hostilities. It also shows popular support of the people on the issue of war and peace. We also hope that the humanitarian situation will ease, the safety of civilians will be effectively guaranteed, and the Palestinian issue will be resolved in a comprehensive, just and lasting manner at an early date. The UN resolution condemns all violence against civilians and emphasizes the need for the two-state solution. China has voted for it in the hopes of pay- playing a constructive role. The weeks-long conflicts between Israel and Palestine have so far killed over 9,500 people. China's Shenzhou 16 Taikonauts have handed over control of the Tiangong space station to the newly arrived Shenzhou 17 crew. The ceremony came after the Shenzhou 16 members completed all set tasks. They are due to return to Earth on Tuesday aboard the Shenzhou 16 spaceship. The Dongfeng landing site in northern China is preparing for the occasion. A train accident has killed at least 13 people in India. Media reports say a passenger train overshot a signal and collided with another train in the southern state of Andhra Pradesh on Sunday. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi has extended condolences to the bereaved families. Police in the capital of Bangladesh have fired tear gas to disperse supporters of the main opposition party who threw stones at security officials. The clashes happened during a rally demanding the resignation of Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina and the transfer of power to a non-partisan caretaker government to oversee general elections next year. 
it was not immediately clear how many were injured in the chaos. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has warned of what he describes as the dire situation concerning glaciers in Nepal. On this trip, I will visit the Himalayas to see for myself the terrible impact of the climate crisis on the glaciers. The situation is dire and it is accelerating. Nepal has lost close to a third of its size in just over 30 years, and glaciers are melting at record rates. The impact on communities is devastating, and I will meet local people in the Himalayas to hear directly from them about how they are affected. Guterres is currently on a four-day trip to Nepal. Data from a Kathmandu-based intergovernmental scientific authority shows that glaciers in the Hindu Kush Himalayan region could lose up to 75% of their volume by the end of the century due to global warming. The center also warns that the loss of glaciers will cause both dangerous flooding and water shortages for the 240 million people living in the region. Outbreaks of cholera and dengue fever in Sudan have left more than 100 people dead since August. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs says over 3.1 million people are estimated to be at risk of diarrhea and cholera in the African country. Sudan's healthcare system is struggling to contain the diseases, and the National Health Ministry reports 70% of hospitals in war-torn areas are out of service. An official from Istanbul has called for further efforts to preserve the city so that it will continue standing for years to come. Deputy Secretary General Burag, chair of the Istanbul Metropolitan Municipality, made remarks as the Republic of Turkey celebrated the centenary of its founding. If the Turkish Republic is to survive forever, Istanbul, as its North Star, will be one of the most important treasures the Republic presents to the world, with its unique historical depth from past to present. Expanding Istanbul will be to harm its historical depth. Preserving Istanbul is the most important requirement and necessity that the Republic has defined from the very beginning. An urban renewal project has been underway in Turkey's largest city since a deadly earthquake in 1999. Data shows about one-sixth of the buildings in Istanbul are at risk of collapse if a quick hits. South Korea has subdued Halloween celebrations on the eve of the first anniversary of the Haring party crash that killed about 160 people. Many restaurants, bars, stores and amusement parks are avoiding Halloween-themed events to show respect for the victims. The deadly accident occurred in Seoul's popular Itaewon neighborhood where a large number of revelers packed an alley, causing people to fall on each other. The dead were mostly in their 20s and 30s. Back to you, Shane. Thanks. All right. Uh, thank you very much. And that was Wang Zihang. Uh, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the UN's increased use in the global economy. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 37 minutes past the hour now. And turning to business, here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Monday. Wang Ying has more. 
First, the mainland markets rose on Monday, helped by first signs of government-orchestrated support measures. The Shanghai Composite Index gained 0.12%, remaining above the psychologically key 3,000-point mark, while the Shenzhen Component Index rose 1.61% as investors look ahead to PMI figures for both manufacturing and services this week for signs of further economic stabilization in the country. Last week, the Shanghai and Shenzhen indices jumped to 1.2% and 2.1%. Percent, respectively, amid hopes that fresh stimulus measures from Beijing could support the economy and boost the markets, the blue chip CSI 300 index added 0.6 percent. Tech stocks outperformed, but banking shares fell on the sector's shrinking margins. Sentiment was aided as more than 30 Chinese-listed companies unveiled share buyback and purchase plans over the weekend, while major mutual fund house. Uh, e fund management said it would invest in its own product. They are joining in a, a growing number of companies heeding government calls to help revive a stock market that last week hit its lowest level since 2019. Several companies that announced their share buybacks closed higher as Hainan Mining jumped nearly six percent, Vedicorp rose 2.11 percent, and Zhejiang Semiconductor gained two percent. That was market analyst Wang Ying in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index closed slightly above flat. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped around 0.9 percent. The Chinese renminbi is making steady progress in becoming a more widely used currency in the global economy. In the first nine months, cross-border RMB payments reached nearly 39 trillion yuan, or around 5.3 trillion U.S. dollars, up 24 percent year-on-year. Of that, almost a quarter was used for trade settlement, the highest level in recent years. The central bank says it'll ramp up work to better meet the needs of businesses using the currency in cross-border trade and investment. The Industrial and Commercial Bank of China has opened a Chinese yuan clearing bank in Pakistan. Addressing the opening ceremony in Islamabad, Pakistani Finance Minister Shamshad Akhtar says Pakistan is keen to increase the use of the Chinese yuan in trade and investment. This RMB clearing operations will help to connect Pakistan offshore and China onshore RMB markets. China has been Pakistan's largest trading partner and largest source of investment for eight consecutive years. China's gross domestic product is 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 expe- expected to grow 5.2 percent this year and 5 percent next year. The International Financial Forum's 2023 Global Finance and Development Report says global growth is projected to slow further this year at 3.1 percent and is likely to remain weak at the same level in 2024. Meanwhile, the participants discussed major issues on the economy and sustainable development. For more, Tambo spoke with Eric Solheim, the vice president of the International Finance Forum. What is it that the Green Finance Award is looking for in financial institutions and enterprises, and what are the major contributions of this year's winners? I will focus on two areas: scale and innovation. Because we cannot do green finance if it's just some small money here and there.、It、cannot be charity. That will never work. What we need is really big scale. And many of the winners here are among the biggest companies in China, and some from outside, from Indonesia, from Saudi Arabia, and from other nations. And they are doing green finance at big scale to drive the green shift. Then we also have a prize for innovation. Companies who try to think new, do things in a new way, and then set new standards for the for finance, which others can、uh, later adopt. 
There's also a prize for smaller, medium-sized companies to really uh, inspire them uh, to do better. But scale and innovation are two keywords, and there are so many inspiring examples of big companies going green. This year marks the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. What opportunities do you think that the Belt and Road Initiative has brought to the international community and how do you view its role in promoting global sustainable development and green finance? Uh, Belt and Road is now the lead initiative in the world for green development in developing nations. Just after the Belt and Road Forum last week in Beijing, China and Indonesia signed an agreement of 54 billion US dollars. China will help Indonesia with smart grid, uh, solar, solar panels and a lot more. And Indonesia, of course, is the fourth biggest nation in the world. It matters a lot. I see two main areas for green belt and road development. One is green corridors like uh, Africa, you have in Kenya, in Ethiopia, you have the Yunnan uh, to, uh, to Laos Railroad. So these green corridors are essential because it moves transport and goods from roads into rail and it connects people. And the second is uh, renewable energies. Uh, China is now between 60 and 80 percent of all renewable power in the world and China's ability to invest in solar, wind, hydropower is enormous. In the beginning, Belt and Road was a bit into the fossil fuel and coal uh, sectors, but after China stopped all overseas coal investment, it's now fully focused on renewable energies. That was Eric Solheim, the vice president of the International Finance Forum. The second Jingbo China-Europe freight train has arrived in Shanghai after a 16-day journey from the German city of Duisburg. The train is transporting goods for the upcoming China International Import Expo in Shanghai. Deputy Director Wang Yanping of Shanghai Freight Center says the staff is well prepared. To ensure a high-quality operation of DCS operation, we opened an intermediate storage station, added more handling facilities, and enhanced the dispatch in order to provide a qualified transportation experience for CRIE exhibitors. This is the third year for the CRIE to use the China-Europe freight train to transport goods to Shanghai. This year, the railway planned to run three Jinbo freight trains, carrying goods worth 350 million yuan, or nearly 48 million U.S. dollars. The sixth CRIE takes place in Shanghai from next Sunday to Friday. The Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China delivered the first two air freighters converted from ARJ-21 passenger planes on Monday. The converted aircraft has a designed maximum payload of 10 tons. It's primarily intended for transporting cargo, mail, and express shipments on domestic routes and short-haul international routes. The ARJ-21 freighter conversion program was officially initiated in 2020. Industry insiders believe the ARJ-21 cargo aircraft could be a new option to explore low-capacity and specialized cargo markets, as well as high plateau regions. China's service sector has maintained strong recovery numbers in the first three quarters of this year. Service sales nationwide increased by around 19 percent, and the growth rate was 13 points higher than the retail sales of goods in the same period. So far, the yearly growth rate of the National Service Industry Production Index has picked up for two consecutive months. 
Preliminary calculations show that in the first three quarters, the added value of the service industry increased by 6%, contributing 63% to national economic growth and driving GDP growth by 3.3 points. China's newly added installed capacity of renewable energy hit 172 million kilowatts in the first nine months of the year, a 93% increase compared to the same period last year. The figure accounted for 76% of the country's total newly added installed capacity of power generation during the period. By the end of September, the country's total installed renewable energy accounted for nearly half of the country's total installed power generation capacity. China's gold jewelry prices have hit their highest level since 2010 as gold prices soar amid the tensions in the Middle East. The recent surge has triggered a gold recycling rush in the country, with many flocking into gold stores to exchange their gold products for money. In Shenzhen, many gold traders say gold recycling volume in their stores has recently exceeded gold sales. A store like ours collects about 5 to 6 kilograms of gold a day, with a monthly increase of 30 to 40 percent. As the gold price went up in the past two months, the recycling volume has increased by about 50 percent, with jewelry accounting for 80 percent and bullion about 20 percent. Analysts believe that gold prices are expected to remain strong as safe haven demand will continue in the short term. Thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with Business. We're listening to the Beijing Hour and coming up in sports, the closing of the Asian Para Games in Hangzhou. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. All right, 48 past the hour and turning to sports now. Here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. The Hangzhou Asian Para Games have come to an end. The Games attracted over 3,000 athletes from 44 countries and regions who competed in over 500 events across 22 sports. More than 1,550 technical officials and nearly 3,100 media personnel were involved, making it the largest edition in the history of the Asian Para Games. Athletes set 21 world records, 72 Asian records and 283 Asian Para Games records in Hangzhou. Team China put up a fantastic performance to top the medal table. They won 521 medals, including 214 golds. Team China athletes also broke 12 world records and 36 Asian records. In football, Shanghai Port held Shandong Taishan to a 1-1 draw to clinch their second consecutive Chinese Super League title on Sunday with one round remaining. After Shanghai Port's championship win, all eyes are now on the battle to avoid relegation in next Saturday's season finale. Nantong will face off against Tianjin and Dalian will play against newly crowned champions Shanghai Port at home. Two of Europe's greatest club football games took place over the weekend. First up, Jude Bellingham scored twice as Real Madrid came from behind to beat FC Barcelona in the first Clasico of the season, retaining the top spot in La Liga. Ilkay Gundogan put Barca ahead in the fifth minute before Bellingham made it 1-1 with a spectacular 30-yard shot in the 68th minute. The game opened up in the closing minutes and Bellingham tapped home the winner in injury time. 
In the English Premier League, defending champions Manchester City cruised to a 3-0 win against United in the Manchester derby. United manager Eric Ten Hag was understandably not happy with the outcome. Of course it's disappointed, eh? but um, last year we had many highlights and so far, not now, and of course yeah, when you lose the derby and then in the way we lose, yeah, that is, is disappointed because first half we had, we had a very good game plan, the execution of the game plan was also very good and it was toe-to-toe -to -toe first half, uh, very similar, but then the penalty of course changed the moment and then second half. Uh, we, we choose to be, go more offensive and then the 2-0 is too quickly. And from that point on, it was a very difficult game, yeah. City boss Pep Guardiola heaped high praise upon Bernardo Silva. He's an incredible player for us. Uh, he loves to play in Old Trafford too. I think, I don't remember one performance we didn't play good. Sometimes play he as a false nine in the past. Has this ability to, to make a, a lot, a lot of long possessions and attack in the right moment. He's so intelligent, so everybody loves him uh, and he played another exceptional, exceptional performance. So he's one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. City are now up to third on the table, two points behind leaders Tottenham. South Africa defeated bitter rivals New Zealand in the 2023 Rugby World Cup final in Paris this weekend. The 2019 defending champion Springbok team won the match 12-11, their third consecutive match at the tournament that was won by a single point. Flyhalf Andre Pollard slotted four penalties, scoring all 12 points for his country, while New Zealand's Bowden Barrett scored a try and Richie Mwanga landed two penalty kicks. New Zealand put up a brave performance after captain Sam Kane received the first ever Rugby World Cup final red card for a dangerous tackle in the first half. In the second, South Africa captain Sia Khaleesi and winger Cheslin Colby received yellow cards, sitting out 10 minutes each at differing points of that half. Both sides missed chances to score tries to earn a comfortable lead. South Africa emerged victorious due to their superior defensive efforts, led by man of the match Peter Steph Dutoy, who made an astonishing 28 tackles. South Africa has beaten New Zealand both times they have faced each other in the final and also became the first nation to win four Rugby World Cup titles. Max Verstappen claimed a record 16th victory of the 2023 Formula One season at the Mexico City Grand Prix this weekend. The Dutchman earned the win despite starting the race from third on the grid. He claims his car is too strong to compete with. We are of course experiencing I think, an incredible season and uh, again today as well of course we had to stop P3 but I think the pace of the car was very very good. We tried to do a different strategy to everyone else and unfortunately with the red flag uh, we couldn't really uh, yeah, show it basically but uh, nevertheless on those hard tires at the end I think we're very very strong. The Red Bull driver produced a superb start to pass pole sitter Charles Leclerc and his Ferrari teammate Carlos Sainz. Verstappen made another perfect getaway at a mid-race standing restart that followed a red flag triggered by Haas's Kevin Magnussen crashing into the barriers. He then went on to win and was 13 seconds clear of Mercedes's Lewis Hamilton at the chequered flag. And finally, England's Cricket World Cup hit a new low as they crumbled to a 100-run defeat to unbeaten tournament favourites India in Lucknow. A fifth loss in six games does not mathematically end the defending champions' hopes of retaining their title. However, they require a fantastical set of results to make the semi-finals. 
England plunged to 129 all out in a chase of 230 during a haze of frantic and tentative strokes. They failed to cope with India's relentless and high-class bowling attack, particularly Mohammad Shami, who took four wickets for just 22 runs. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a global arts festival in southern China. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Now at 54 minutes past the hour, turning to entertainment and Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. A number of iconic tourist attractions in the southern Chinese city of Guilin are serving as outdoor venues for its annual art festival. The 10-day event is presenting 140 activities and performances featuring plays, folk music, operas, and monologues in different languages from 14 countries and regions. Nearly 80% of the performances are outdoors. The festival aims to integrate art into the city's famed natural scenery. A Dutch artist inspired by Chinese ceramics when visiting China continued to work on it when she returned home. This is her story. I'm Tineke van Gils. I started my ceramic career in Amsterdam in 1984. I worked for almost 80 restaurants, made all the tableware, and that gave me a lot of skills in ceramics. In 1996, I moved from uh, Amsterdam to Delft. Delft is the city of Delft Blue, and that's inspired by Chinese porcelain, by Jing de because of my skills on the wheel and because of the teapots, I was asked to make 100 teapots for an opera, the Turandot. And that's a story that plays in the surroundings of Beijing. And this project brought me invitations to come to the south of China to make another 100 teapots with the porcelain from Dehua. In 2009, that was my first meeting with Dehua porcelain and I found that my hands were made for this extremely difficult material on the wheel. I loved the porcelain there. I fell in love as a teenage girl. Uh, and later when I came home, I told the people everywhere that uh, Blanc de Chine, that's the name of this white porcelain, that Blanc de Chine is the most beautiful girl in the classroom. And it is. From the first I was in China, uh, I saw the old dragon kilns in the mountains uh, near Dohua and I realized it's uh, going to change. I think when I go back to Dohua now, uh, the old kilns will be closed almost. I like the term of being a bridge builder, but it's not really my intention to be a bridge builder. I think I, uh, I became it uh, natural. And when I came back from Dohua, I wanted to tell the stories about this amazing, beautiful ivory white porcelain. And my idea was to organize Chinese New Year in my village. I invited all uh, interested potters uh, all over the Netherlands. And I asked the Qigong master to do a tiger dance. 
I invited also the drummers of my village to play with Chinese chopsticks on my tableware, on my plates and uh, bowls, and they uh, gave an excellent concert. There was a report on a Dutch artist inspired by Chinese remixes. And finally, Chinese artist Men Xiumin has attended the fourth Humboldt Fine Arts Biennial in France. Men is well known for his unique watercolor painting centered around China's traditional culture. Only a select few of art pieces were displayed at the biennial. The event is divided into two collections that are exhibited alternately every year. The one is themed around animals. The other one aims to discover young artistic talents and promote the development of urban intangible cultural heritage and culture. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour, Beijing down to 11 degrees this evening. It'll be sunny and 22 on Tuesday. Chongqing has a slight rainfall, continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 60 and the high is 22. Last is down to 4 degrees overnight, then sunny and 15. Hong Kong's at 24 this evening, and then sunny with a high of 29 degrees Celsius. Elsewhere, Tokyo is at 14 overnight. It'll be partly cloudy and 21 on Tuesday. Islamabad 16 this evening, then haze and 35. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then thunderstorms with a high of 33. Finally, in uh, Africa, Nairobi's getting partly cloudy conditions and 26 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the 10th Beijing Shangshan Forum discussing defense and security issues is underway in the Chinese capital. The Turkish Republic's marking the 100th anniversary of its founding. On behalf of the staff, Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Take away Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello everybody, welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 